Are we ready? Yes. Everybody, Jim's ready. Can, it, can everybody hear me, first of all? With the speaker, okay. <laughs> I'd like to welcome everybody to the CUC Fall Retreat. It's uh, really a blessing that we're all here and uh, being able to fellowship together in, in Christian love. And we're especially, especially blessed to have Rusty and Ann. So we thank you. Well, and while we were eating tonight, we were saying a special prayer that they would just be here. Because <laughs> we were worried. We were worried. Anyway, I hope everybody was able to check into their room and everything is, is good. And if you have any questions about anything or if you need anything, uh, Ron, I, I probably shouldn't go that far though, right? <laughs> but if you have anything during this whole time, just contact Billy and Judy. Okay? Or Frank and myself. So, uh, but we are, we are blessed and we, we thank you. Uh, one of the things, a couple people asked me, why we picked the fall? Well, we thought the fall and it's beautiful weather. And, and also why we picked this weekend? Well, it goes back to Rusty. We said to Rusty, we said, what weekend are you free? He says, well, I'm, I don't know about free, but I, I'm, I can make most weekends, but I would really like this weekend because Auburn is not playing. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh. Now, what what we tried to do as a committee, and, and we were successful, we were able to, because we thought we got Auburn fans, we got North Carolina, we got some Georgia Tech, Alabama, who else? Anyway, we needed more Bulldog fans. So what we did is we contacted Georgia and invited the whole football team here. So they will be here. They're here. They're here. Oh, the team is here? The team, the whole team is here. Now, now, we know you have allegiance to Auburn, but we're just trying to move you a little bit more to the center. So they they are going to be here. They're going to be here today, tonight, tomorrow night. So, but... They're going to keep to themselves, obviously. Uh, so anyway, that if you see some big guys walking around, that's probably not me. So these will be Georgia fans. That are young. That are young. Oh, that are young. That hurt. That hurt. Anyway, we welcome you. We're going to have a have a great time. And again, anything that you need, please please let us know. At the beginning of each session, though, we're going to have and we thank Bonnie Bonnie White. She's going to lead us in song. And she came up, when we first announced the retreat, she came up and said, volunteered and said, can I be in charge of the singing? So that, you didn't. <laughs> oh, maybe you got that a little bit wrong. Anyway, so I called here and I said, is there a piano? And they said, you know, you're, because you're having a wedding here to, tomorrow night, I believe. Uh, no piano. So I, Judy and I said, well, we got a keyboard. Now, my wife gave me a key. I said before I retired, I said, I'd really like to learn to play the piano. So she got me this keyboard, 
for Christmas. I haven't played one note on it, but my kids have have great fun with karaoke and everything else and playing all the Caribbean songs and movements. But I guess what I'm leading up to is finally, you know, for this music to go up and
Well, we're just about ready to get started, and before we start tonight, I'd like to recognize uh, a few uh, new people with us. We, this is a tradition with our retreats each year, and those in our group tonight are Bob and Barbara Davis. Daphne Fradle, <laughs> Jane Bailey. <laughs> Welcome to y'all. We're glad to have you with us. And we're just about ready to start the evening, but I wanted to mention one thing. We weren't sure Rusty was going to make it tonight. <laughs> I mean, we'd ask him, look, why don't you and Ann meet us at 5.30 and we can eat and go over what our plans are for the retreat and so forth. And and the time just kept whipping right by, and all of a sudden it got to be 6.30. And uh, Dal and I looked at each other, and I said, look, we're going to have to draw straws. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, Dal lost. So uh, we should be thankful that uh, Ruby and that, that, that he's uh, with us. Uh, but but it's, it's a great pleasure. I don't think uh, Rusty needs any in, uh, introduction. Uh, I think a couple years ago you were with our group too, and uh, we're just very, very happy, and it's a pleasure to have you and Ann both with us tonight, Rusty. So thanks very much for being with me. Even if he is an Auburn fan. <laughs> It's a treat. It's a real treat to be here, and it certainly was uh, tempting just to see what Dal might have for you tonight. I've got to tell you that right up front, okay? I said I would like to sneak in the back and just watch that go down. <laughs> so, all right, let's start with a let's start with a prayer. Or let's go to the Lord. Lord, thank you uh, for this evening. Thank you for uh, what a what a day and what a weekend, Lord, and. Uh, ask that you calm our spirits here as we get ready. Thanks for these bulldogs that you've brought here, Lord, and you got them amongst us. Lord, give them favor, and uh, Lord, get them overconfident. Get them really cocky. Make them think a lot of themselves until they meet your beloved Tigers, Lord, uh, at the end of the season. Thank you for the people that you've gathered here. We're going to talk, Lord, this weekend about extraordinary people of God, and, and I know I'm surrounded by many right here. I'm... Uh, I'm asking that you might give credit for this weekend and maybe I can get on the same street address up in heaven someday. Guide us and keep us, give us good conversation, Lord. Open our eyes to some things that maybe we don't see or some newness that you want in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. All right. I'll try to use this mic. I don't normally speak with a mic because I project, etc. But uh, I think it makes sense. So if anyone can't hear or something like that, just tell me and uh, I'll let Ann talk. She's louder. Okay. So, so we are excited about being here and it is kind of, you know, we're still kind of jacked up getting here and getting out of the car and, and making it happen. We came from Orlando, but um, I was thinking a while ago, just listening and singing along there, especially old time religion and he lives. So a lot of y'all know I'm from Oklahoma and some of you have even heard Possum Holler Flats. Uh, you know, Assembly of God Church. Our church was about this size. So this is about this size. And uh, I think my aunt rolled over in her grave twice tonight, is what I'm thinking. <laughs> she was on duty. She was on duty when uh, when the Lord knocked on my, uh, my door so hard that I couldn't ignore it when I was 16 years old. And, of course, she had been on duty trying to get my attention for quite some time. 
But the songs that are printed there are the ones that we sang almost every Sunday. And, of course, she was in charge of music. So I, I think she rolled over for that. And then, uh, of course, she'd always roll over if she heard me sing. <laughs> so I think her second role was probably hearing me sing again tonight. So um, it's good to be here. We're going to talk about extraordinary people of God this week. And the biggest thing about this weekend is always just conversations and fun and being with each other and growing in community and the way God intended the church from the beginning, which is where we grow together. But, um, you know, as the weekend goes, I just want you all to remember now, y'all invited me. (laughs) So if this isn't working for you, okay, it's all right. You invited me. I just want to remind you of that right now, okay? Because we're going to explore it. There will be pieces that may not be uh, completely comfortable and there well in fact one of the things we're going to talk about is are we supposed to be completely comfortable so we'll talk about that in the morning but I got good news tonight first off let me say um, that uh, it is great to be here and I feel a little bit you know like one of Paul's uh, you know like not not Timothy but maybe one of Timothy's bag carriers okay and uh, when we talk tomorrow I'll tell you we're going to spend a good bit of time in Philippians this weekend and uh, we'll talk about how what he has for the CUC from Philippians. And just to get you spinning, um, lead a Bible study with businessmen. I can tell you more. Anybody's interested more about what I do out in the community, not just at Roswell, I'd love to tell you about that because it'll filter in. But lead a Bible study with businessmen. And we spent about 15 months going through the book of Romans, but we called it the Alpharetta's. And so we did the Bible study from the Alpharetans. You were never allowed to say Romans. And in fact, we also changed circumcision to baptism. That's the only change we made. But since that is the theological controversy issue of our day, as opposed to circumcision, so that made it real. You follow me? So as we're thinking about Philippians, we'll be thinking about Roswellians or the CUC. We'll think about how this might be addressed, what part of it's addressed directly to us. How's that sound? Okay, well tonight, what I want to do, maybe I should look at one of these notes, make sure, because I need to get really to what I want to do, and I do, um, oh yeah, I wanted to tell you one thing, one other thing, there's a subtitle to the weekend, and this is the one I really want us to focus on, so we're talking about extraordinary people of God, it's not my phone, the subtitle that I believe is the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And the question that you, as you walk around this great place, and we go through these sessions, you have time with your friends, you have time with your partner, those of you that have your spouse or partner here, do you believe that? Do you believe that the best is yet to come, or do you believe the best is behind you? And uh, that's a question that the Lord kind of put on my heart that we're going to run with this weekend. It's the best yet to come. doesn't always feel like it, right? We're hurting. I mean, you know, Ann and I have learned recently that our marriage goes through different phases, so we're into a new phase in our relationship, which makes me appreciate being a little hard to see and a little hard of hearing, too. Both those have kind of regenerated that phase. You know, we can have this, well, the same thing, we go through phases in our faith walk, and so, uh, you know, there's a time for a phase here. So tonight is all about honey night. Now, not everybody's got their honey here, I understand that, okay? But I thought we'd have a little date night, a movie, okay? So we're going to watch a movie. I do want to ask one question. Either we're going to need to gather over here, or I probably could put that tea up here. You think that would make it easier for y'all to see? Okay. 
Well, you're going to need to move your chairs to come over here and kind of gather around. This movie is not a quick movie. It is a movie, okay? It's something that we'll talk about this weekend. It's the main thing that we're doing tonight. It's going to take an hour to watch the movie, I'm going to tell you, okay? And we're not going to cut into Mexican train, all right? We got started <laughs> way late. We got started way late. We're going to do this movie, and then we're going to wrap up really short after the movie. Let me tell you a few things about it. First off, it starts a little slow. Okay, and since we're here this weekend talking about extraordinary and we're talking about it's the best yet to come, I know I'm in a room full of control freaks. Okay, I really already get that. <laughs> I get in some odds, I get some head nod, and others are like, he doesn't have the right to say that. <laughs> you invited me. So, um, <laughs> so this starts a little bit slow. There may even be a theological point in it that you don't agree with. Okay, it's really interesting about that. For instance, it's talking about rewards in heaven. I've got good friends that don't believe there will be any rewards in heaven. Okay, and uh, so, you know, there may be, but stay with it. There's two reasons I want you to stay with it. One is how this movie applies to our life. I don't know if you've ever had one of those days, but this is a movie about a guy that has one of those days, and it fits in the rest that we're doing. But the second thing is, I can't tell you how much better my life would have been if someone like y'all set me down and made me watch this movie 25 years ago. If somebody had cared enough about me to make me watch this movie 25 years ago, I would have made life a lot easier on this beautiful lady next to me. <laughs> I would have made life a lot easier on a lot of other people. And when, we, when I think about y'all, I don't think about people that are all done. I think about people that have that faith and that credibility to set folks down and show them a movie, okay? So think about it from that point. Grab your coffee, grab your honey, and now we need to move in. Well, I'm fixing it up. Come on over. Bring your chairs. By the way, there's, uh, for the gentleman, you know, snuggle up, but there's no intermission. <laughs> and I've reached that point where I fully understand that. So anybody needs to, go ahead.
So I'm trying, but every day you come in a little earlier. I come in a little earlier, and then you show up. I come in a little earlier tomorrow. I'm so sorry. Now, I'm a Christian, okay? So I'm not going to be mean to her. <laughs> I'll just do the next best thing. I'll just ignore her and hope she goes away quite quickly. And so I sit down at my desk, and I start to work. And as she's dusting around my desk, she picks up the picture of my family. She said, oh, Mr. Matthewson, our family is so beautiful. Yeah, yeah, fine, my yeah. Your wife, she was so nice to me at the company picnic last year. Whatever, yeah, good, good. And your kids, beautiful kids. Um, thank you, Juanita. Good, thank you. She got the message. She started to leave. She stopped at the door like she was about to say something, but she moved on. As soon as she had gone, I forgot about her because today was the day I had to get this proposal finished. I had a one o'clock appointment to make a big pitch, and that it was coming together quite nicely. I had people coming to my office all day giving me parts of. Uh, the proposal, I sent it off to Kinko's. By 11 p.m., it was sitting on my desk, a beautiful four-color, glossy cover. <laughs> oh, yeah. I had a couple hours just to relax. Sat down at my desk, started to dream about all the things I would do once I was a partner. Finished a couple other things. And then it happened. Right there. Jesus came back. <laughs> now, they always taught me that one day Jesus was coming back, but I thought it was kind of like a theoretical one day, like at the beginning of stories you heard when you were a kid, one day. I didn't realize it was a literal one day. Like, one day, a specific day, Jesus was coming back, but this was the day. And all of a sudden, I was ushered into the gates of heaven. Pearly gates is not a good description. We've got to come up with something better than that. <laughs> I mean, it was magnificent. And some of you have seen the ticker tape parade in New York after a big festival or a big celebration after a World Series championship. It was like that except a hundred times grander than that. There were people jumping up and down and celebrating. I saw people in my family that I hadn't seen for years. I saw deceased family members that I'd never met. We had a wonderful conversation. There were hugs and laughter all around. I needed a little time just to take it all in. I mean, the day started pretty normally, but wow, this wasn't exactly what I had expected. I walked over and I sat down on a rock. Just took a deep breath. I thought I was alone, but I sensed someone's presence. Couldn't really see anyone, though, and so finally I just said, Hey, is somebody out there? <laughs> okay, hello. <laughs> Apparently there was someone out there. What or who are you? My name is Uriel. He said he was an angel. He's about eight feet tall. How can I describe him? He looked like a hollow person made out of light. He had a very kind face. Uriel, not Muriel, Uriel. Uriel, I got it. Who are you, Uriel? Uriel told me that he had known me since the moment of my conception. I said, oh, you're my guardian angel. He said, well, we don't use that terminology here, Daniel. But I've been watching you your whole life. And I've been assigned to you now that you are here in heaven to show you the ropes, to teach you what heaven is like, to walk you around. He, he said, Daniel, it's fascinating. Here in heaven, your eyes work differently than they did on earth. I said, really? He said, yeah, you see that thing way over there? There's an object about 10 miles away. He said, go ahead and look real closely at that. And so I looked real closely at it. And the strangest thing happened. All of a sudden, it just went, like it was right in front of my eyes. It was as though I had zoom lenses in my eyes. And he explained to me, he said, Daniel, heaven is so expansive that God made us these special eyes so that we can see things clearly. That's fantastic. He said, communication is different here, too. I said, how so? He said, you don't have to verbalize things. You just have to think to each other. He said, let's try it. You think something to me, and I'll think something back. We had a whole conversation without saying a word. 
He told me about transportation in heaven. He told me about time and how elastic it is. He told me the ropes about heaven. And then finally he said, now I need to share with you the agenda for the first few days now that you're here. <laughs> there's an agenda? I thought we were going to leave those behind. No, there's an agenda for the first few days. Well, what do we have on there? He said, well, the marriage feast of the Lamb, of course, is the big highlight. But before that, we've got the Bema judgment seat of Christ. I said, what was that? He said, the Bema judgment seat of Christ. What's that? He looked up at me and we great concern. He said, that's right. No one ever taught you about this, did they? I said, no. I heard about the judgment seat. It's something about a big, great white throne, and we got the goats on the one side and the sheep on the other. And if you said yes to Jesus, you're a sheep, and the sheep get to go right on into heaven, and they don't get judged, and they don't get sent away to eternal... Yeah, that I've gone through. I'm here in heaven. But what's this judgment you're talking about? Well, Uriel told me, the sheep all have their own judgment, too. Once they're in heaven, they get to come before Christ. At the Bema judgment seat. I said, well, you got to explain this to me. This is scaring me a little bit. I wasn't aware of this. I said, don't worry, Daniel. It's not a punitive judgment. You're not a criminal on trial. It has nothing to do with your sin. It has everything to do with your stewardship. What in the world are you talking about? Well, remember, Daniel, when you were on earth, the Olympic Games, and someone would run a race, and they would win that race? Yeah. And then they would go up on the podium... And they would bend over and they would put a medal on their head and everyone would cheer. Yeah, I said, that's the Bamar. You will stand one-on-one -on -one in front of Jesus before the entire history of the church. And Jesus will reward you for your stewardship of your life, of your resources, of your gifts, for what you did for him while you were on earth in the power of the Spirit. <laughs> a shriek of terror went from my heels all the way up to my hair follicles. And I prayed that Jesus' memory was better than mine. Because at that moment in time, I couldn't think of anything that I had done of eternal significance. I said, when's this going to happen? He said, very, very soon. As soon as we hear the trumpet sound. And sure enough, in the midst of our conversation, off in the distance, we heard the trumpet sound. Didn't give me much time to prepare. <laughs> Uriel said, Daniel, you had 37 years to prepare. He picked me up under my arms, and we started to fly. <laughs> I looked around me, and all the angels were carrying their people towards this little dot in the distance. But the closer and closer I got to the little dot, I realized it wasn't a dot. It was a stadium, and the closer I got, the immense size of this facility struck me. It wasn't like a stadium we have here at the uh, Earth. It was a stadium the size of a metropolitan area. Massive. It was huge, maybe 15, 20, 30 miles across. He set me down right outside the gate. And there were people being set down all around me. I was surrounded by hundreds of millions of people, but I had never felt so alone in all my life. Yuri said, I have to leave now. I said, excuse me? I said, no way, buddy. You're coming in there with me. So no, that's only for the church, for the bride of Christ. Don't worry. I'll be up in the heavenlies. I'll be watching. If you have a question, just think it to me, and I'll share it with you. So off he went. Here I was. Walked through the gate, said the day moment. Oh. I came into this stadium and I was overwhelmed. It was filling with people about four or five miles away down in the center was a stage. I used my zoom lenses. I could see someone doing final preparations on the stage for the Bama Judgment Seat of Christ. And I looked around for a seat and the seats were filling in so quickly. And I saw one and, excuse me, excuse me, it's just like church when you come in late. Excuse me. I sat down and you could, you could cut the tension with a knife. I mean, everyone was on edge. Oh! Uh, Daniel Scott Matthewson. Yes. And your name? Indira Zhenji. Indira Zhenji, I said. That's a fascinating name. He said, Daniel, when and where are you from? 
Oh boy, I never heard that question before. It's at that point that I realized that sitting in this stadium was the entire history of the Christian church. So you couldn't just say, where are you from? You had to say, where are you from and from what age did you live? I said, well, I'm from the United States and I was on earth the moment that Jesus returned. He said, oh, what a privilege that must have been. I said, well, when and where were you from? And he said, well, I was from Japan in the 18th century. I said, well, I realized there were Christians in Japan in the 18th century. He said, oh, yes. He said, the big wooden ship that brought trade to our land also brought missionaries from Africa. And they were passionately in love with Jesus. And they came to our town, and one of them sat me down one day and opened up this wonderful little book and talked about my sin and how it had separated me from the one God who knew me and loved me. But how that God had sent his son and he had shed his blood. And if I would come and kneel at that cross and say, Jesus, wash me clean with your blood, that sin would be erased and I would be able to spend eternity with my father. And I put my trust in Christ and my whole family did and our whole village turned to Christ. Everyone, of course, except the samurai, the leader of our region. He did. And he was a cruel man. Daniel, he persecuted us. And my life ended hanging on a cross on the side of a road. I dropped my head. He said, Daniel, why do you drop your head? You're in heaven. <laughs> I said, oh, I, I just can't believe you suffered that way. I never suffered at all. My life was so easy. Just, <laughs> I said, Daniel, don't worry about that. Jesus chooses who suffers. It was a blessing that he allowed me to suffer. It was a blessing for you that you didn't suffer. Count your blessings. Our conversation continued. And all of a sudden, it was interrupted by a magnificent creature, an angel. He was walking towards the front of the platform, and as he walked to the front of the platform, the whole place started to quiet down. I looked around, and every seat was full now. We were all here. There wasn't one extra seat. They knew exactly how many were coming. The angel walked up to the front of the platform. He must have been 18, 20 feet tall. He was magnificent. He had a big staff in his hand the size of a small tree on earth. And in order to get our attention, he pounded that staff on the podium five times. You could have heard a pin drop. Welcome, bride of Christ, he said. We have long awaited this day. Oh, we have been so excited about it. It is my great joy and privilege to introduce to you your groom. He never introduced himself, now that I think about it. He didn't care that we knew who he was. We all assumed it was Gabriel, but we're not quite sure. What he did was he introduced Jesus. He said, Behold, the Son of God. The Alpha and the Omega, the Prince of Peace, Almighty God, Wonderful Counselor, the beginning and the end. Behold, the Lord of God who takes away the sins of the world, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus! And the name reverberated throughout the heavenlies, and Jesus entered from behind the stage. He walked up to Gabriel and he looked up at him. <laughs> Gabriel dwarfed him in stature physically, but Gabriel quickly disappeared. Jesus stood at center stage. He said, oh my bride, <laughs> I have so longed for this day. The feast is being prepared as we speak, but first the fame of the judgment. Well, I get to reward you for what you did in my name, in my power, for my kingdom. <laughs> my father will be presiding over the judgment. He will be entering now. Please welcome Yahweh, Abba. God. In the back of the stadium, God came in. <laughs> At this point, that I have to tell you, I have a great empathy for the Apostle John now. 
And I understand why the imagery in the book of Revelation was sometimes so hard to comprehend, because it's absolutely impossible in human terms to describe what you see in heaven. How do I describe what God looked like? <laughs> I'll give it a feeble shot. He looked like a cube. And on all four corners of the cube was a strange-looking creature. It had wings and had magnificent features. And all of the creatures were saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy. And the holies reverberated throughout the heavenly. Inside the cube were colors. It was like all the colors of the spectrum, but only one at a time. I can't explain it any better than that. And there were shapes, and they were all moving, but they were moving in different directions at the same time. And I realized at this point that I'd always had a misunderstanding about what God looks like. I'd always assumed he's like a white-haired old man sitting on a rocking chair with a cane. I remember a teaching way back when, my early Christian life, where someone said that God was an omnipresent spirit. I didn't quite understand it then, but I think I do now. That God is everywhere, and what he is done for us here for our sake as he's given a manifestation of his presence so that we would know he was here. As the angels, the cherubim and the seraphim continued to shout, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, they started to sing. As they sang, the hearts of everyone in the stadium was warm. And we all realized we have an opportunity face to face in the presence of God himself to worship the one and true living God. And so as the angels started to sing, we join in with them. Yes, Jesus, we, we sang for like 1,300 years. We just sang, sang, sang. And I sat down and I said, yeah, we did old songs and new songs. No shock by that. It was... Because at that moment they realized that I didn't care what anyone else thought about me when I was worshiping. That was the first time that ever happened to me. See, back in my church, back on earth, we had two kinds of worshipers. We had the chosen frozen. <laughs> we throughout the worship time looked as though they had just come from their spouse's funeral. <laughs> and then we had, of course, the window washers. And the window washers made the chosen frozen very uncomfortable and vice versa. But here at heaven, <laughs> we were all window washers. Because we didn't care what anyone else thought. We just wanted to praise Jesus. After our time of praise and worship concluded, Jesus came to the front of the platform. He said, it is now time to start. We are going to have the judgment. But before we start, I want to make sure you understand exactly what we're doing. The purpose of this judgment is about stewardship. Not about sin. You don't have to worry about your sins showing up at the day of judgment seat of Christ. It is dealt with. My blood has covered it. We're going to cover three things. We're going to cover your stewardship. What you did with what I gave you. You will not be compared one to another here at the Bema. Because none of you are given the identical amount of gifts and opportunities and resources. You are all uniquely gifted for the unique plan that I had for you. Did anyone ever tell you that I loved you and I had a great plan for your life? So I will just compare you over and against what I gave you. That's how you will be evaluated. What you did with what I gave you in my name, by my spirit, for my kingdom. Stewardship. We'll talk about your priorities. I remember preaching a sermon when I was back on earth at one point. And in that sermon, I encouraged you. I was sitting on the side of a hill, if I remember right. 
I encourage you to store your treasures not on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but instead to store your treasures up here in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Many of you have stored up treasure in heaven, and today you'll see just how much there is. We'll also talk about motives. I taught you in scripture that mankind looked at outward appearance, but I look at the heart. Today I will show you what I saw there. There will be rewards given out today at the Bema. There will be crowns given out. Four crowns specifically, the crown of righteousness, which will be given to every one of you who knew about this day and patterned your life for this day. You live for this day instead of the day of temporal things. The crown of righteousness will be given to you. The crown of life will be given to everybody who is persecuted for my name. The crown of glory for all you under-shepherds, those of you who cared for my bride, the church. The crown of faith for everybody who persevered under trial. For some of you, there will be verbal commendation. I will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. In you I am well pleased. For every single one of you, there will be glorification. This is the day that the fantastic process of salvation is concluded. You know the process. The Holy Spirit started to draw you into a relationship with me. One day someone shared the good news of Jesus Christ with you. And one day you said yes to me and my blood covered your sin. The Holy Spirit came in and dwelt you and started to sanctify you. Started to make you into what you've been declared to be holy in my sight. And now I have come back or you physically died and you found yourself here in heaven. And the final step happens, glorification. You will receive your heavenly body, and it will be a magnificent moment. Are you ready? <laughs> Prepare for the judgment. Jesus walked back to his throne. And if you could have felt the tension at the beginning when we first sat down, <laughs> oh boy. Every single person in this stadium was convinced that their name was going to be the first one called. Gabriel walked to the front of the platform, pounded his staff three times, and called out the first name. Timulus was flown down by his angel to the front of the platform, and he slowly made his way up and stood in front of the throne of Jesus. You can tell us by looking at him that he was a humble man, simple guy. The most amazing thing happened while he was having a conversation with Jesus. We could see in our mind's eye a video, if you will, a DVD of his life. It was played out before our eyes. Everyone in the whole stadium saw the same thing. So we could see who Timulus was. He was born in the 3rd century in Lyon, France. He was a poor man, a smith by trade, but he was a deacon in his church. And he gave generously to those who didn't have very much. He was persecuted. He was scraped. They took the skin right off his skin while he was still alive. Scraped it off him. He was put on the rack and bent backwards, dislocating his shoulder joints, and then he was thrown to the wild beasts. And as they devoured him, he fell on his knees, he put his hands in the air, and he said, I am Timulus, and I belong to Jesus! And as he said that, you could hear an audible scream throughout the whole place. We all saw it before our eyes. We saw him devoured by those wild beasts. Jesus got up off his throne. And he said, Timulus, yeah. And he looked around to all of us, and he said, To Timulus I give the crown of righteousness. The crown of life, the crown of glory, and the crown of faith. He got all quotes. <laughs> and he stood behind him. He said, Oh, Timulus, I am so proud of you. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Be glorified. And he was changed in a moment. And he flew back to his seat on his own power. And the whole place went crazy. <laughs> 
Uriel said to me, Daniel, it said up here in heaven that 10,000 demons quake at the mere mention of Angela's name because of the power of her prayer. The enemy of our Lord has had few as powerful as Angela Mosley, the enemy against him. She was a single, she remained single by choice. She was a school teacher in the United States. She remained single to take care of her struggling sister and her aging mother. She did all those behind-the-scenes ministries at church. She's the one that filled all the little communion cups every Sunday. She greeted at the door. She cared for the babies in the infant's room. But more than anything else, she prayed. She prayed. She prayed for world evangelization. She prayed for those she knew that were sharing the gospel and discipling young people. She prayed for young people to come to know Jesus Christ. She spent hours and hours and hours on her knees. No one else ever saw her. And Jesus did the same thing with Angela that he did with William Carey. He said, if any of you are here at the payment because of the prayer of this woman, please now stand. <laughs> and hundreds of millions of people stood up. And they all started to cheer for Angela. And Jesus kicked her to her feet and said, oh, Angela, I am so proud of you. Way to go. <laughs> well done, my good and faithful servant. Be glorified. And she was glorified and she was more magnificent than anyone else who had come before her. And when she went back to her seat, the whole place went doubly wild. I found myself thinking that prayer thing, it really was important. I should have listened to Von <laughs> Gabriel announced yet another. Joseph Ray Robinson. Joseph was born in the South during the Depression. It's a tough place to be born as an African American. He wasn't allowed to go to school because of the color of his skin. But his mother taught him by reading scripture to him, and he memorized the word of God. By the time he was 18, he had three quarters of the New Testament fully memorized. And he made it his charge every day to share the good news, the word of God, with people when he came in contact with them. He married young, he had eight children, so he had to work good jobs just to pay the bills. He drove limousines, he delivered papers, he worked as a security guard in an office. Uh, Joe. Joe, the security guard for my building that would always yell scripture at me as I was going up the elevator. During the day I saw the amazing impact he had had, Jesus said, if you were led to Christ by Joe, please stand. And thousands of people stood, and I saw hundreds of people from my office complex, and I was humbled. And I found myself thinking, this man that I had no time for this morning, am I even worthy to shine his shoes here in heaven? <laughs> Jesus said, oh, Joe, well done, my good and faithful servant. Be glorified! And Joe was glorified, and he got his new body, and he did it. Oh, yeah! <laughs> oh, he's here! And Gabriel announced yet another. Juanita Perez. My cleaning lady. Oh, Juanita. She was deserted by her husband, the young mom with three children. She worked two jobs, first shift, second shift, just to pay the bills, to make sure that the children would have a life. She raised these children to know and love Jesus. Jesus did a, an interesting thing during her judgment. He allowed me to see how much she had prayed for my kids. And then he allowed me to see the impact that her prayers had on my children. And it struck me as I was sitting watching this woman who was cleaning my office this morning, who I was ignoring, it struck me to realize that she had a greater impact spiritually on my kids than I had. And I was humble. 
of this woman I didn't even look in the eye this morning. I want to spend a thousand years with tonight. Oh, what a difference a day makes. But I told you it was quite a day. Jesus said, oh, honey, you're well done, my good and faithful servant. Be glorified. She was glorified and she went back to her seat and the whole place went absolutely crazy. stadium and it was about three quarters all lit up. And I was thinking, man, my turn's got to be coming soon. And there were two or three thousand more and then sure enough. Daniel Scott Matheson. Oh boy. Oh boy. Ariel came and picked me up and flew me down. Oh. Walked up the steps. Fully cognizant of the fact that the entire history of the Christian church was looking at the back of my head. <laughs> but you know, that didn't even matter because right in front of me stood Jesus himself. He said, come closer, Daniel. This morning. He started to have the conversation that I had seen him have with many people before me. He said, Daniel, I'm so glad you're here. I've longed for this day. I want to make sure you know exactly what we're doing before we start. Okay, Jesus. Please explain it clearly to me. I want to know exactly what we're doing, too. So, Daniel, let me clarify once more. This has nothing to do with your sin. Your sin is covered with my blood. It will have no place at the payment. Daniel, relax. Okay. <laughs> relax. Now, good. Thank you. This is about your stewardship of what I gave you. I gave you 37 years, Daniel. Yes, 25 years after you became a believer. 25 years in which you might make an impact for my gift. Yes, you did. That was a gift for me to you. I gave you financial resources, abundant ones, I might add. I gave you two spiritual gifts. I gave you the gift of teaching, and I gave you the gift of encouragement. I gave you education. I gave you opportunities. I gave you a family heritage. My goodness, what resources I gave you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to evaluate what you did with what I gave you. Okay, I understand. Jesus then said, now, sometimes Daniel, people ask me a question at this point. They say, Jesus, how come you wait till today to give us these rewards? Why don't you give us rewards when we're on heaven and when we're on earth? And I always say, I did. I was constantly giving you rewards. You just never noticed them. You were either too busy or, more likely, you attributed the rewards to your own ingenuity and hard work. You assumed that you earned the blessings that I gave you. <laughs> That's not the biggest reason we give out the rewards today. The biggest reason is because today is the first day that we can know the full impact of your service for me. Because, remember, you impact another person in the power of the Spirit, and then they go and impact another person, and then they impact two more people, and it goes out like a web through history. And not until history has ended can we know the full impact of your service. As he was telling me this, I was thinking about D.L. Moody. He had been judged to a few people before me. He was on earth a few hundred years before I was, but he had an amazing evangelism ministry. And all the people that he led to Christ in his crusades, he was given credit for at the day when his rewards were massive. But he also started a little Bible study that became a school. And everyone that was trained at that school, he received credit for the impact that they had on other people. The youth pastor in my church, back on earth, was Moody trained. And he came and he impacted a lot of kids in our youth ministry. And then they went out, and some of them went out on missions. And when they impacted people on the mission field, D.L. Moody got credit. And the only way that we can figure out exactly how much credit you deserve is to wait till today, when history is ended. Do you understand, Daniel? Yeah. I never thought of it. That way, but yeah, I think I understand. Let me explain to you the process. I actually described this for you in the Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Remember reading that, Daniel? 
<laughs> sure, I read it at some point, Jesus. Well, let me remind you. I talked about the fact that your life is like a house, that I'm the foundation. And you could invest your life or you can spend it. You can build your house with worthless materials like wood and hay and stubble, things that disintegrate as far as eternity is concerned. Or you can build your house, your ministry, your life. You can invest it with things like silver and gold and precious stones. What I'm going to do is I'm going to live your life over with you right here at the judgment. All 37 years. And we're going to take fire to your life. And all the things that were worthless, wood, hay, and stubble, they will be burned away forever. But those things that were worthwhile, those things of eternal value, they will be purified in the fire. And that will be your reward for all eternity. Do you have any questions, Daniel? Well, yeah, actually, Lord, I do. The worthless thing. Could you define that a little better for me? I understand that sin probably fits into that. That's all burned and it's gone away. But what else is worthless in your eyes? He said, well, for example, motives. If you did things in my name for the wrong reasons, you won't receive reward here. The name of it all. Oh, come on, Jesus, that's not fair. I mean, when did I ever do anything with 100% pure motives? He said, never. You're human. You're incapable of that. But what I'm looking for, Daniel, is I'm looking for the dominant motive. Was your dominant motive to please me, to bring a smile on my face, to build my kingdom? If so, all the secondary motives, they'll be burned out by the fire. It will be refined, and you'll have what's left. You understand? There was a time, Daniel, that I remember you put a very large check in the offering plate, and you left it open so that everyone on the road could see what it was. <laughs> and when that lady, three people down, kind of looked at you and went, oh. That was your reward. You received it in full right there. You received nothing. <laughs> but there was another time when you sat alone in your study at home and you wrote out a check for the Lord's work. And you mailed it in and no one knew about it except you and me. You'll receive a great reward for that here today. Do you get it? I get it. Are you ready to start? <sighs> no. <laughs> Jesus, can, uh, can I have four more weeks? Please, just give me four more weeks. I'll go back. And if I can just have four weeks, I think this would be a much better experience for me. <laughs> Daniel, you have 37 years at home. And there's a couple million people waiting behind you. The marriage piece of the lamb is getting cold. We need to keep this moving. <laughs> okay. I'm as ready as ever. Let's start. You ever heard the phrase, my life flashed before my eyes? Well, my life flashed before my eyes. When everyone else was up here, it seemed like their judgment took about three or four minutes. But when I was up here, my judgment lasted 37 years. We lived every moment of my life over again. And fire came out of Jesus' eyes. And all the things that were worthless were incinerated and gone forever. I saw my parents bringing me home as a little toddler, a little baby, a little infant, to the little one-bedroom apartment. I saw the joy on their face. I saw my elementary years and my preteen years and as we went through these years it was all just burned up i wasn't a christian yet i couldn't do anything of eternal significance the dominant theme as i watched that part of my life was sin which confused me because i thought jesus said sin wasn't going to be seen here i couldn't believe how self-centered i was i was all about me as i was watching this i just felt sick and i glanced at jesus at one moment and he was looking at me his eyes were still completely tender and full of grace and unconditional love. And his smile was still plastered on his face. And I could see nothing but outrageous grace pouring from him. And it hit me. He can't see the sin. What was more, as soon as it was burned away, I couldn't see it or remember it either. <laughs> so not only could Jesus no longer see or remember my sin because of his love, but because of the judgment it was gone from my memory as well. And I thought, oh, this is going to be great. And by the highlight of my first 12 years, 
came as a 12-year-old boy. Someone had shared the good news of Jesus Christ with me, with my mother, actually. And I went up to my room one night, and I knelt down by my bed, and I prayed a simple prayer. I said, Lord Jesus, um, I have sin in my life, and I understand that, and I desperately need you to take that sin away by your blood. Please wash me clean. I long to be in close, intimate relationship with the Father of the universe. Please make that happen. Come and live inside me and change me from the inside out. I actually, from the Bema, could remember praying this prayer, but it was a completely different perspective from the Bema. Because as I saw me praying, I looked into my soul, and I could see myself passing from death to life. <laughs> and I could see my heart of stone becoming a heart of flesh, and I could see the Holy Spirit writing God's Word on my heart so that in my soul was an inclination for every passage of Scripture. I could see the Holy Spirit coming and living inside me and giving me new life. I could hear in heaven, justified, declared righteous. It was all going on. I thought, it's amazing what took place at that one little moment when I asked Jesus to save me. And I looked back at Jesus and there were tears streaming down his face. He looked at me and said, oh, Daniel, Daniel, thank you so much for saying yes to me. I said, oh, Jesus, no. Thank you so much for dying for me. We went back and forth thanking each other. And I can honestly say it was a perfect moment. Jesus said, all right, Daniel, now we can get down to business. Now you have the Holy Spirit living in you. You are now capable of making a difference for eternity. You have 25 years between this day when you trusted me and the day that I returned. Let's see what you did with those 25 years. Now, I don't have time to go through all 25 years with you now. But as I observed those 25 years with Christ, many of them being burned away, some of them being refined and given to me as a reward, I noticed a few things. One of the things I noticed was how passionate I was about what other people thought about me. My whole life could easily be described as perception management. I was trying to manage everyone else's perception of me. I wanted to be in the in crowd. I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be with the popular kids teenagers, and adults. I always wanted to be accepted, valued, and lifted up. In the process, I rarely have ever thought about what Jesus thought about me. I'll share a couple examples. One of them happened shortly after I became a believer. I was playing on the jungle gym with my best little 12-year-old buddy, Tommy. And we were playing, and we were swinging around, and we were having a great time. Oh, some of the boys from the in-group came over. And they said, hey guys, want to play baseball? And I said, baseball? I love baseball. We love baseball. Yes. And they said, well, actually, Daniel, we just want you to play. We don't need Tom. Okay. Um, what do you think? I said, okay. Really? You think I can go play? You don't mind? Oh, cool. Thank you, buddy. I'll see you. I'll call you tomorrow. Okay. And I'm fine. And here from the day, I could see how his heart was crushed. I never looked back then. Never thought about what Jesus thought about that situation. I just wanted to be with the kids. This tendency went all the way into the high school years. Into my adolescent years, when I grew my hair out long, and I got that look on my face, my dad said, get your hair cut. I said, I cut it last year, I'll cut it next year. Get off my back. You're not going out like that, are you? Put on some real clothes. Get a hole in your knee. Yeah, I'll wear what I want. Get off my back. And we went nose to nose, and we butted heads. And I looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, why was I like that? I remember I didn't even like my hair like that. I didn't even like those clothes. My knees got cold. The only reason I wore those clothes is because my friends wore those clothes and I wanted to fit in with them. Jesus, why was I like that? And he looked me right in the eye. And he said, Daniel, 
I am the bread of life. If you nourish yourself on me, you will never be hungry. You rarely did so. As a result, you are constantly looking for other people to feed your needs. <clears throat> Daniel, only I satisfy. It happened again when I went off to college. My buddy Jimmy and I had graduated from the same high school. We went to the same college together, and we were going to room all four years together. Yes! Until, of course, right before the first year when we were about to sign our apartment lease, and the guys from the coolest rack in campus came over to talk to me. They wanted me to pledge. They didn't want him. Is that okay? What do you think? I mean, I know we had this plan, but you know, hey, this, this is the crap, you know. Really? You, you, you okay with that? You cool? Hey, thank you. I knew you'd be. All right, okay. Take it out, Clay. Soon. I did exactly the same thing. I looked at Jesus and I said, oh, Jesus, if I could do it over again, if I could go and live my life over again, I wouldn't give a rip what people thought about me. I would just care about what you think if I could just have another chance. Second thing that I noticed of going through my judgment with Jesus was how Jesus viewed people. <laughs> I'd always see people kind of as scenery in my life, you know? All the world's a stage, I'm the main actor, they're all there to make my life look better. They are accessories to me. My wife is there to make me look good, my kids are there to impress other people with their academics and their athletic excellence. My secretary is there to make sure that I get all my work done so that it's excellent and I get great accolades. Jesus didn't look at people this way at all. When Jesus looked at people, he saw eternal beings made in the image of God who were worthy of grace and unconditional love and mercy and forgiveness. He said, Daniel, when we talk about worthwhile things, when we talk about silver and gold and precious stones, I'm usually talking about your impact on people because we're talking about eternal things. And people are the things that last forever. Many of your relationships were worthless. You made absolutely no impact in people for me. But there were times when I got it right. One of them was when I was a senior in high school. There was a youth pastor, his name was Mike. And Mike really took me under his wing. Hey Mike, and he taught me. He taught me how the Christian life works. And he opened the word of God to me. And he showed me how the Holy Spirit could come and live inside me, which he had at the moment of my conversion. And that the Holy Spirit could work through me and actually touch people if I would submit to him and respond to his prompting. He said, now, Daniel, make sure you're doing it here, here in our youth group. Start here. Make sure that all the kids feel welcome. And there's a girl who started attending our group right about this time. Her name was Sandy. And I saw her come in, and I noticed that no one else went up to talk to her. So I ran over and I said, hi, Daniel, nice to meet you. And I introduced myself to her. And I said, come on, I want you to meet some other people in the group. And I introduced her to Mike, Sandy. I introduced her to some of the other kids and some of the girls. And they started to sit down and talk. And I looked back at Jesus and said, oh, Jesus, <laughs> I totally forgot about Sandy. What happened to Sandy? Where did she end up? He said, oh, Daniel, this is your shining moment. <laughs> I said, it is? <laughs> yes. Okay, good. Uh, what happened? I said, don't you remember, Daniel? About three weeks later, you led Sandy to trust in me. He allowed me to sit, and there I could see Sandy going from death to life, and the whole heart change thing. Oh, it's just amazing. I totally forgot about it. I received a great reward for that. They said Sandy went on to college, and she got involved in a campus ministry. She became quite an evangelist. She led many people on her college campus to Christ. She discipled them. She got married. She had three kids. And she raised those kids up. She poured her life into those kids. She raised those three kids up, and they became godly men and women who made a huge impact for the kingdom. And not only did I get credit for Sandy, but I got credit for everyone Sandy led to Christ to college, and I got credit for everyone her kids led to Christ years later. <laughs> oh, this is great. 
said, Jesus, I've got to admit, my motives weren't 100% pure. He said, Daniel, I've already burned out the impure motives. What you see there is the pure reward of your service to send me life. Well done. Treasure it to this day. What an amazing experience that was to look in the eyes of Jesus and to hear him say, well done, it's great, good for you. Unfortunately, the majority of my life didn't look like that. I had one worthless relationship after another. I wasted so many opportunities. So many times the Holy Spirit prompted me to share the gospel, and I just walked right by, and I saw it all, and it was all burdened and incinerated. I found myself thinking, you know, if I could do it again, if I could go back, I would pour my life into people, because people last forever, and people matter to Jesus. The last thing that I noticed uh, throughout my judgment was how different things look from the Bema. Perspective is everything. You've heard it say I couldn't see the forest because of the trees. <laughs> well, I realized from this perspective that I walked around on earth with a big oak tree right in front of my nose. <laughs> I couldn't see a thing as far as eternity was concerned. But up here I had a completely different perspective. Up here I could see the whole forest. Let me give you an example. Shortly before Jesus came back, I got a call. I got a call from Derek Hogan. He was the number one guy in my industry in town. Just getting a call from this guy named my palm sweat. He said, Daniel, come over, I want to talk to you. I said, I'll be right there. And I walked up to a beautiful corner office. And he showed me around this corner office and he said, Daniel, you want it? Me? <laughs> You're kidding me, right? You want me to come work for you? I get this office? Not wanting to look too eager. I said, well, can we talk salary? Double whatever I'm making. <laughs> that works for me. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> I need to go to talk to John. I'll be right back. Hang on. John Michelle was the man who gave me a chance right out of college, but no one else would. He was one of my dad's friends, a godly man. Set me up. I did very well in his company. I was the number one salesperson for his firm. I came and I said, John, Steve, I need to tell you that um, I've had an offer to go with Hogan, and I know that's disappointing to you, but the salary that he's offering is something you really can't compete with. Uh, so I've decided to go over to his firm. But I want to make a commitment to you that I won't touch any of the accounts that I brought to your firm for three years, okay? And then we just, let's just shake on that. Three years, I promise not to touch them. I know you're happy for me. I appreciate your enthusiasm. God bless you. And off I went. Here from the Bema, I could see what happened to him. That's what he said. I didn't, moments notice. I went back and, yeah, yeah, yeah. But as soon as I started at my new place of employment, Hogan's attitude completely changed. He showed me what the quota was. The bar was very high. But I got over it because I was good. I became the number one salesperson in his firm. I went up two house sizes in a year and a half. You should have seen the car. I was sitting in the front row at every major sports event in the city. I thought I was making it, baby. But here, from the Bayma, the perspective was completely different. Here from the Bayma, I looked like a fly flying around a Venus flytrap. <laughs> I looked so pathetic. I never thought of what Jesus was thinking. All I cared about was being in the in crowd and succeeding. Sure enough, one day, Hogan walked into my office. Yeah, I said, go get that New Century account. Oh, I can't get the New Century account. Well, I made a commitment to John that I wouldn't do that. No, I didn't sign a no-complete contract. I just gave my word. He said, word doesn't mean anything. Go get it. I said, I can't do that. He said, go get it or clean out your thing. I had become accustomed to my lifestyle. <laughs> so the thought of cleaning out my things was not very appealing to me. And so without looking John in the eye, I went and I tried to wrestle that account away from him, and in doing so, ripped out his heart. His company went into bankruptcy. It was his biggest account. Marriage problems followed. 
when I was on earth, I never took a moment to think about him. All I cared about was me. I'm embarrassed to tell you that the rest of my life, as I played out before Jesus, was just incinerated before my eyes. I was so consumed with success, so consumed with making it, so consumed with the next big deal, the next big project, that I never even thought about what Jesus wanted for me. It was all burned away, and then Jesus came back, and Jesus looked at me and said, Well, Daniel, it's time for the summary of your judgment. Please come forward to the middle of the platform. Jesus then looked out over the great throng, and I realized that this is the part that everyone else was going to hear. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, I'm ready, Jesus. And Jesus said, Daniel, Scott, Matthews, you were given tremendous resources, amazing resources. When we look at your financial resources, you may not be aware of this, but you were in the top 1% of everyone who ever lived. Really? Really? And by my calculations, you spent 99.7% of every penny you ever earned on yourself. You failed in your financial stewardship. Okay? Daniel, you were given 25 years. The majority of those 25 years, you invested in temporal things that were all burned away. You have three or four jewels that you should treasure. Worthwhile Daniel, I gave you the gift of teaching. You never taught one person. You didn't even teach your kids. And Daniel, I gave you the gift of encouragement. And you rarely did that. When you did, you were rewarded for it. Daniel, I look at your life and my overall summary is that you wasted what I gave you. I thought, what could you possibly hear that's worse than that? You're wasting what I gave you. And then I heard something that was worse. Jesus looked me in the eye and he said, Daniel Scott Matthewson, you left your first. He was right. I mean, I had. I'd asked him to save me, and then I pulled him around like a dog on a leash. When I needed him, I'd pull him up there, and then when I didn't, he was back there. He was riding in the back seat of my oh-so-impressive life, completely neglected. I left my first love. He was completely right. But what do you do when Jesus said that to you? I didn't know what to do. I didn't think I would ever be able to stand up again. And then, out of his lips came the most incredible words I've ever heard. He said, Daniel, you left your first love, but your first love never left you. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus. Daniel, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, good. <laughs> I was crying, which kind of puzzled me because... I always thought that there were no tears in heaven, but now I remember that that passage in Revelation actually says that Jesus wipes away all the tears in heaven, presupposing tears in the first place. <laughs> and that's what Jesus did for me next. He walked towards me, he got down on one knee in front of everybody, and he wiped my tears away, and he said, there'll be no more tears here, Daniel, and there never was. Stand up, my friend. He helped me to my feet. Daniel, Scott, Matthews, be glorified! An electric bolt went through my body. <laughs> oh, wow! Yes, and at that moment in time, all that stuff that had been burned away was completely erased from my memory. All that was left was the pure reward that he had given me. And I flew back to my seat under my own power. And as I was flying back to my seat, I looked down and I saw my wife and my kids. And they were all jumping up and down and they were and I waved them. And I sat down, and everyone was patting me on the back and cheering for me. And I was exhausted. The judgments continued, and then they finished. And Jesus sat in his throne, and Jerichewski, the man sitting next to me, 
who had received the crown of life because of his persecution, got up from his seat and flew down to the front of the platform and ran up onto the platform right in front of Jesus to cut his crown. He laid it at Jesus' feet and everyone started falling. The people started coming from all over the stadium and the crowns started to pile up around the throne of Jesus and he loved it. He just sat there taking it all and bring it on. And I stood up and I went like this. I didn't have one. And I thought, oh, if I could do it again, if I could just have one more chance, I don't need some crowns. Because I want to be involved in the ultimate act of worship here in heaven. But whether we had crowns to give or not, we couldn't help but sing. All of us in our glorified state rose to our feet as the music started to play. And we decided in our heart and soul that we were going to sing in ways that we had never sung before. And we praised the name of the one who had given us life and rewarded us for our service to him. As we found our ways back to our seats, Jesus rose from his throne. And he had to climb over all the crowns, all the way to the front. And he said, oh, my bride, it's been a great day. The marriage feast of the Lamb approaches. You have a few minutes to get reacquainted with your loved ones. Go and enjoy your time together. Now, I've seen some firework displays in my life, but I've never seen anything like this. Billions of people, as bright as the North Star itself, shining straight up into the sky. I knew instinctively where to go outside the stadium and landed right where my wife and children were. <laughs> and we embraced. And there was no sorrow, no shame, no condemnation. We just compared. Look what we've done. Oh, where'd he go, Dad? Where'd he go, son? How do you think, great? We celebrated what God had done in us and through us. And all of a sudden I heard Daniel, Daniel, and I turned around and John Michelle was running towards me. Like the father of the prodigal son. And he threw his arms around me and said, Daniel, I love you. I said, oh, John, I love you too. And I felt the tap on my shoulder. And I turned around and it was Sandy, the young girl that I led to Christ in high school who had grown into such a godly woman and she was radiant. I mean, she was much more radiant than I was. She looked me in the eyes and she said, Daniel, thank you so much for being obedient to the Spirit and impacting my life. I wouldn't have been here without you. And I looked in her eyes and I said, no, Sandy, thank you for being impacted by me. You were the only one I needed you today. <laughs> Shortly before the feast started, I found myself sitting alone again with Uriel at my side. Most and I heard, Mr. Matthewson, Mr. Matthewson. It sounded just like my administrative assistant's voice, but it couldn't have been her because I knew she was an about atheist and she wouldn't be here in heaven. Mr. Matthewson! Mr. Matthewson, all of a sudden somebody was shaking me and I looked up and my assistant was standing there and I was at my desk and there was slobber on my chin. She said, Mr. Matthewson, you've slept right through your meeting. It was a dream? What was a dream? Never mind. It was a dream. It was a dream. Which meeting was it? Well, you were going to attempt to wrestle the new century account from John Michelle this afternoon at 1. The document's on your desk. Thank you. I'll take care of that. I'm done. Thank you. <laughs> I grabbed that document and I put it in the circular file. I got on the phone and I said, Honey, it's me! No, honey, nothing's wrong. No, honey, no, I'm just calling. Can the husband call his wife every once in a I realize I haven't done Okay, alright. Okay, honey, uh, wait, stop a second. Honey, yeah, um, I got an idea. Let's take the kids out of school this afternoon 
and let's go to the zoo. Honey, hello? <laughs> uh, yeah, get upstairs and, and get a babysitter because tonight, you and me, we're going on a date. <laughs> We've got a lot to talk about. Boy, have I had a day. <laughs> All right. She's going to go first, but I really, really hope that I get to see her. I know she will be there, and I intend to be there as well. Uh, tomorrow, we get to spend some time tomorrow, and some of these, I hope some of the dialogue from this movie maybe makes it into your groups and your conversation. We'll have some of it tomorrow. The other thing I really like about this is something that we know, but it's fun to see, which is the extraordinary people in the world are not the people that the world sees as extraordinary. You follow me? The extraordinary people in the world are not the people that the world sees as extraordinary. And uh, that's why when I started earlier, even though I was kind of discombobulated, I said I knew I was around some extraordinary people. I mean, it, and, and there are extraordinary people in this room. But uh, tomorrow we'll explore how we might get more more aggressively on that extraordinary path, some of us, okay? There are three things that we'll talk about. We'll talk about our comfort, and uh, actually comfort. We'll talk about our challenge and risks. And I took a risk tonight, so I beat you to it. So if I ask you to take a risk, I took a risk. One, one risk was leaving Orlando this morning. Val <laughs> will say that was his yes. risk. <laughs> yeah, that was his risk. But then I took a risk playing this. There were points in there that were certainly not comfortable. I noticed the popcorn wasn't really a big hit tonight, okay, at the movies. But I took that risk. And then we'll also talk about dreams and what dreams we have. And this was a dream, so we can connect back with that. Does that make a little bit of sense? 
And then if things go well, it'll be a little lighter tomorrow. Is that okay for everybody? <laughs> and uh, But in that time, I hope to be able to share with you a little bit about a good friend of mine named Matt. And then uh, another guy that I didn't ever get to know very well named Robert. And then this, uh, this young 12-year-old boy named Jack. And then if I get carried away, also maybe this professional uh, lady, she's a senior executive in Atlanta whose name's Ellen. And uh, we'll get to explore being extraordinary out of the lives of those four people. Does that work for y'all? Okay, well, let's get ready for game time and closing prayer, okay? Lord, thank you for giving us the privilege of being together. And Lord, you know, we know that you love having fun. Lord, that you are the dispenser of joy, and that is your goal, and that is your heart. Lord, we know that without you, we are ordinary. And with you and, and with you and following you, we can be extraordinary. Lord, help us understand what that means for us tomorrow. Not us as a group, but also us individually. Lord, is the best yet to come? The best is yet to come, isn't it? Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thought provoking for sure. Looking forward to tomorrow on the next day. <laughs>